As we get closer to the kickoff for the 2006 World Cup, the usual pundits are weighing in with their predictions as to who will win. Most of these predictions will be based on experience, national loyalty, or sheer guesswork. Decision Technology, however, have analysed 4,500 international games to take a more scientific approach. Decision Technology is a part academic, part commercial research group dedicated to the study of human decision-making and the development of any associated practical applications. Henry Stott is co-founder of Decision Technology and a member of Warwick's Department of Psychology. Henry, um, all the number crunching has been done now. Uh, what's your prediction for the World Cup? Um, well, essentially, we have uh, Brazil as the favourites, which is the same as the bookmakers, but um, I think we're ascribing them basically a 13% chance of winning the tournament, uh, whereas the bookmakers' odds imply they have about a 20% chance. So we think they're, in some sense, the favourite, but also overestimated. Yeah, so how are you reaching that decision, and, and uh, why do you think there's a discrepancy between your results and the results of the bookmakers? Well, we're using a model that is based on previous matches, about uh, 4,500 of them, uh, which includes sort of all the qualifiers and friendlies and so forth running up to the tournament. And so we take that data set and we uh, compare to see how teams have performed against each other to derive sort of independent evaluations of or objective evaluations of the attacking and defensive strengths of all the different international teams involved. And then we use that to make these forecasts. I think the discrepancies are coming from uh, the fact that you know we're using an objective, predictive um, tool here, uh, whereas bookmakers are more concerned with things like where the actual flow of, uh, of bets are going to come from, so that they can sort of uh, manage their risk positions. So, but the Brazilians themselves are often sort of point out that football's a little box of surprises. Um, can we really be sort of make hard judgments um, about the likelihood of? the likely outcome of a given football game? I think it's certainly true that uh, it's remarkably hard to forecast football. Um, I mean, even when you look at uh, newspaper pundits, um, they are getting the right forecast somewhere in the region of 40 to, 50, uh, 40 to 45 percent of the time uh, when they're, you know, they're judging which team's going to win. And even our um, approach, which is better, is still only sort of achieving sort of 50 to 55 percent. So there remains sort of like a big gap there that uh, is going to be quite hard to model. So it's, it's a very hard game to forecast. And nevertheless, I still think, you know, you can do a good job and, uh, and, um, and make these forecasts more accurate. So what sort of factors are you taking into to account when you're making these forecasts? Is it just the kind of team performance or do you take into account the players' performance? Because I'm thinking, you know, you think about the England example with the, the situation with Rooney. Um, how does that, Rooney, you know, can that Rooney factor really upset the model? In your predictions? I think in general, uh, there are a, a small number of players who can remarkably or, or significantly change a team's um, performance. I think, I mean, specifically in the case of the international games, we've been looking at full time score data, and so we don't have a player level model. But on the other hand, we can do player level modeling for England because we have access to all the player level data for the Premiership. And, um, you know, I would make that observation that. Um, I think without Rooney, England's chances are less, but they're not uh, dramatically less. I mean, we're talking pretty marginal differences, say 5% to 4.9% type difference. Whereas I think if you took out Michael Owen um, and one or two other players, th th that number may move more. Let's talk about England. Where do, you, where do your figures put England in terms of the tournament? Well, unlike the bookmakers who have them about second or third, we have them about ninth, um, which is still pretty good. I mean, we have them in with a 5% chance of winning uh, that's about uh, obviously about one in twenty. So you'd expect them to be winning the tournament about one every eighty years on that um, on that kind of odd. 
which is actually not a million miles off uh, what I think is intuitively reasonable. Um, so, so anyway, so you know, we, we've got them sitting there. They're ahead of Argentina um, and one or two other teams, but uh, not exactly leading the pack, it has to be said. No, you mean you put you, in your your statistics. You, you put Sweden and England quite closely together, actually, and obviously they're in the group stage. How do you see the group stage playing out for England? Well, England are the favourite to win that group. Uh, for example, when they play Sweden, we would give England a 40% chance of winning, whereas we'd only uh, ascribe about a 35% chance to Sweden. So, you know, England have a marginal advantage there, but nevertheless, um, uh, Sweden are not uh, a trivial opponent uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, against that backdrop, England is still the favourite. I think they have a relatively kind group. I mean, uh, Sweden is reasonably tough, but um, I think being in a, a group with Trinidad is, uh, certainly gives you uh, something of a, a lift. And so consequently, England are sort of very likely to emerge from that group, even if they don't emerge as the winner. So, you know, they have about an 80% chance, which by most standards is actually quite high. England progressed from the group. Who are the likely opponents that we're, we're going to face in the... Um in the knockout rounds well so uh, when you come out of the group stage the first if you're in group b the first people you face are those who are in group a and um that will be um that'll be one of poland germany ecuador costa rica and so our most likely opponent from that um group is going to be is going to be germany i think there's about a 40 percent chance assuming we get through there's about a 40 percent chance we'll meet them and then as you move on uh, to the quarterfinals you meet um um teams from other groups and so our most likely opponents in the quarterfinal if we got that far would be uh, Portugal uh, and Holland uh, and then beyond that I think we're moving on to teams like Brazil uh, Spain and France um, so you can see we have quite a I think we have a relatively kind group in the sense of getting out to the group stages but on the other hand it then gets pretty tough yeah I mean you mentioned obviously that you know Brazil there with a 13% chance and that still leaves an 87% chance for chance for somebody else to win uh, I mean who do you think are the other who, who did the who did the statistics point out as the other strong candidates for lifting the trophy well I think that's a good observation and the, the other strong candidates are teams I think the, un, the un, underrated ones from our perspective are teams like France and Netherlands Spain and the Czech Republic who are all sort of uh, in the sort of top sort of five or six um, teams but uh, to, uh, in this round of, you know, in this tournament but uh, the flip side of all that is that um, there is also a significant chance that a sort of really surprising team will win, just like Greece did uh, two years ago in uh, Portugal. So, for example, if you look at all the teams that have a less than 2% chance of winning, so that's basically Croatia downwards. So Croatia, Mexico, Poland, Switzerland, those kinds of teams. In fact, all the way down to sort of Ghana, Saudi Arabia, Trinidad. One of those teams has, cumulatively, those teams have a 10% chance of generating the winner. So you can sort of see that there's, um, there's, there's, you know, anything can happen, literally. Yeah, I mean, you've given Germany quite a high rating, um, despite the fact that I think most commentators would suggest their performances have been pretty ropey in the last couple of years. Um, how, why are you putting them so high up your chart? Germany are a historically weak German team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, it's a pretty lackluster team uh, by the standards of the country. But on the other hand, this tournament is being played in Germany, and home advantage in international games is larger than any other home advantage in any other league or tournament. Um, so uh, that's an enormous lift for them. It's worth about 0.6 goals for every game they play, which um, you know, which is an enormous head start. Mm. Are there any other factors that you'd, you'd sort of look at in terms of predicting success? I mean, the, the classic example, I suppose, is Holland, who 
who've traditionally had a very strong team but have always seemed to kind of implode on the way to the final. Um, are there any other kind of factors like that that need to be taken into consideration when looking at these statistics? I mean, I, d I don't doubt that there are things that uh, are sort of more uh, softer uh, like that that would benefit, um, it would be beneficial to the model if we could incorporate them. But I do think that a lot of the uh, imputed reasoning that people generate when they're sort of making football commentary is, is sort of specious. Um, so, uh, you know, insofar as, you know, some team has had a sort of bad run or a good run, people are very quick to judge that. Just one or two games is enough for people to suddenly decide that a team has had it or not had it or what have you. Or, you know, one player, like in the case of Wayne Rooney, is enough to put sort of people's um, commentary into a tailspin. And uh, I think when we have looked at these kinds of questions previously, uh, it's always sort of come back to us uh, that, you know, these things are often being um, judged on too short-term a basis and that often unlucky runs are simply that, just unlucky runs, mm. and that in reality the underlying team is actually pretty strong. I think Holland is a good, probably a good case for that. So if I was going to put my money on a, a team other than Brazil as a, as a good bet, you'd be looking at teams like Holland, Czech Republic, Portugal and Italy uh, as yeah. wor worth a punt. Uh, yes, I think, uh, I mean, one has to bear in mind that even even though the bookmakers have may have those odds um, overly pessimistic, uh, they, these teams all still have quite low chances of winning. So th these are not safe bets, but on the other hand, uh, they are sort of high-value bets, we would say. The, the FIFA World Rankings um, place teams like USA, the USA quite high up uh, the top 10. Do you think they, they, those rankings actually bear any correlation to the performance? I, I, I've tried to study the FIFA ranking system and can't really make much sense of how, I mean, I understand how it works, but uh, I, uh, it, I mean, it's clearly sort of like a system that has been put together. And it, in many of the ways of these systems, it's been intuitively built and sort of on seemingly sensible rules. But when you actually then run the numbers, you come up with some quite odd uh, suggestions, such as, uh, I think, you know, the high level of the USA in that FIFA ranking system is um, is kind of a good good pointer to why the system itself is a bit is a bit dubious. And do you think it's time then that we should be sort of looking at consigning the likes of Alan Hansen and Mark Lawrenson to the dustbins of history and taking a, and sort of approaching this in a more scientific way or do you think they still have some sort of uh, insights that that actually add some value to our to our prediction models? Yeah, that's a tricky question. I mean, I think I think on the one hand uh, a lot of what is said by commentators is pretty much contentless. And more irritating at times is that they say things which are um, uh, testable. Uh, they make assertions that are testable assertions, but they've never bothered to test them. And more often than not, when you test what they say, it turns out to be not the case. <laughs> so um, I, I sort of find commentators from that perspective either sort of vacuous or uh, sort of wrong and undiligent. On the other hand, I do think commentators have a role to play in terms of uh, helping people un uh, experience and uh, enjoy the game, um, you know, from the subjective side, from the emotional side, if you like. Henry, thank you very much. All right, cheers. Thank you.